Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. Step right in, step right in. I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me as always is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. Markets are finally rebounding. Oh yeah, it's a good market day. Uh, it's oh yeah. A, it, we're, we're very excited today. We have a very special guest, uh, Mr. David Modell. He is an educator, investor, writer, Chief Analyst and Opportunity Researcher for Portfolio Wealth Global. David, we're so excited to have you today. How are you doing? I'm excellent. I'm excited to be here. And uh, if you guys are bulls, then yes, today was quite a good day. <laughs> Bear, not so happy. <laughs> but depends who you're asking. Well, we are two bulls in a china shop, so we try to yes. keep with the positivity here, I guess. Why is it that short sellers are always considered uh, negative Nancys? Mm. Oh. Uh, short sellers are just as ambitious and aggressive as people on the long side. Uh, Melvin Capital, Citron Research, all those hedge funds that do a lot of shorting. I mean, they have a perspective and a thesis just like everybody else does. It's just that mm -hmm. they may be a little bit more on the negative side of things, the pessimistic side of things, but it's just as valid. It's just different. Yeah, it just has that feel like, I don't know if you ever played craps when you got someone who bets on the, uh, the don't come line and everyone just gets mad sure <laughs> kind of sucks the whole energy out of the room yeah but sometimes it wins so oh yeah know. i know and then everyone is mad when it does mm -hmm. <laughs> do you think that uh it's easier to predict a drop or a rise a definitely a rise markets go up over time okay mm -hmm. and so uh, if you go long on good companies whether it's uh, coca-cola disney uh, microsoft apple whatever it is companies that have a long history, been around for decades, and have good earnings, then even if your timing is terrible, you'll probably still at least break even and eventually profit. If you bought the S&P 500 at any point in the history of the S&P 500, 20 years later, it was up. Mm -hmm, like, even right. if you bought right before the 1929 crash, or you know, even if your timing was horrible. Uh, so it's easier to win on the long side. That's why uh, I do coach people privately mm -hmm. through Skype and through Zoom lately, Zoom. And uh, I rarely recommend that people uh, take the short side of things. Uh, but it, there are people who swear by it. There are guys out there with YouTube channels like mine, except they swear by shorting uh, or buying puts, that kind of thing. And hey, more power to them. Who am I to say, to the wrong, who am I to say that they're wrong, really? Yeah. Dan, you had a question on uh, the, the coaching. Why don't you go ahead and ask that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, what is the most common obstacle you find in beginner traders? that reach out to you? Uh, boy, yeah, the 20 year olds that I work with, uh, you know, <laughs> I, but before we judge, I mean, how uh, gentlemen, how brilliant were you at finance when you were 20? I mean, come on. So oh, and how brilliant I'm, was I? Right. I'm still not brilliant. 
<laughs> I've never <laughs> exactly. hit it. Exactly. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so I, I'm very patient with them. I, I try to think back to how I was when I was 18, 19, 20. And yeah, back then, if they had Tesla and Bitcoin, I probably would have gone all in and done something dumb, you know? So uh, I, I try to start people off with less volatile, safer. I mean, there's no safety in the markets, but safer, comparatively speaking, uh, mm-hmm. asset classes. And so that's the biggest mistake. They want to go all in. Uh, right. They don't understand position sizing as well win. as they should. Yeah. And, and but they also want to go into uh, whatever is popular. Uh, you know, just like I don't expect an 18 year old to, to know how great Led Zeppelin is. You know, I don't, expe- <laughs> I don't expect them to know, you know, I, I, how, how, why would they care about Led Zeppelin if they're 20? Right. Mm-hmm. And right. so why would they, or, or the Beatles, but they should. Uh, so why would they care about uh, General Electric, which, when I was a kid was, you know, the Tesla of its day. It was just a huge company. Everybody revered it. And uh, now not so much. General Motors, Ford, that kind of thing. Uh, so I try to steer yeah. I try to steer younger traders and investors towards uh, less risky and less, less bandwagon-ish type of trades like uh, Tesla, Bitcoin, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's funny you should say that because I found when we got the show started, a few of the stocks I was finding uh, on my screeners and lists ended up being like the really popular ones yeah and like they got me all sucked in and excited Mm -hmm. but along with those i did i did i found jumia and i noticed you'd had an article today about jumia like we've talked about that one a lot sure the supposedly the african amazon or uh, alibaba maybe Uh, maybe not i mean i wasn't full-on bullish in the article uh this was an article i wrote i just for people who don't know uh i write for investorplace.com i write for crushthestreet.com i've written for market realist and benzinga and others and uh, I also have a YouTube channel if anybody's interested in checking out some free over 500, actually over 800 now, uh, videos for free. People can watch on YouTube. Just type in David Modell, M-O-A-D-E-L. But yeah, Jumia, uh, which is J-M-I-A, if anybody's interested in the stock, I'm not recommending it. Okay. I'm not a licensed <laughs> I, Disclaimer, I am not a licensed or registered financial advisor. You know, make Neither your own decisions, <laughs> consult with a professional, okay, before you make any, uh, you know, trades or investments. That being said, uh, yeah, I kind of like Jumia. Uh, I'm moderately bullish on it because the internet uh, penetration, that's quite a word, right? <laughs> internet <laughs> penetration <laughs> in Africa. <laughs> uh, that's the technical term. I didn't make that up. Um, A a lot of people in Africa uh, still don't have the internet, uh, but I imagine they'll get it sooner or later. Uh, As the middle class grows in emerging markets, such as Africa, then there is room for an e-commerce company, a large one in Africa, such as Jumia, to uh, make some gains and gain some traction. And so that's it's just an interesting trade. I wouldn't put a lot into it. That's the type of thing you might put 5% of your portfolio into and then just leave it there for years and then maybe come back in five years and it's doubled possibly, that kind of thing. Mm. Or gone to zero. <laughs> or gone to zero, right? <laughs> yeah. What's your preferred uh, uh, medium? Do you like trading stocks, options? Um, like, what do you what do you find yourself dealing with mostly? I love options. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't know this, but uh, Warren so Buffett funny. he likes to sell put options. Uh, which, for folks who are not super familiar with selling put options, don't do this. By the way, unless you really know what you're doing. <laughs> disclaimer. Disclaimer. Uh, you can get in a lot of trouble trading mm-hmm. options if you don't know. That's why I coach people and I start them very slowly with the safest possible uh, options trades. And one of the safest ones 
is if you want to buy 100 shares of a stock, why not get paid to do that? Mm -hmm. And you can, uh, you know, Warren Buffett, he'll instead of just buying 100 shares outright of a stock that he likes and that he's researched thoroughly, he waits until the stock price comes down a lot. Uh, and then you could sell a put option, which basically says, look, if the stock keeps falling, I'll buy it. Okay. But you're going to have to pay me for that. All right. I'll buy a hundred right. shares from you, somebody out there. Um, I'll sell you, I'll sell you a contract, a put option contract. And if the stock falls far enough, I'll buy your shares from you. And so I'll save you from further losses, but you're going to have to pay me a lot of money for this. Um, and that's why you do it when this, the stock is going down a lot, because I'm in Florida. And in case folks don't know, in Florida, we have hurricanes and hurricane insurance costs a lot more <laughs> in August, September, October, hurricane season, right. because people are freaking out and they're like, oh no, I that's right. I need to buy insurance now and right. see the wind and the storms and the drizzles outside. So the time to sell a put option is when the stock is falling. People are willing to pay more, just like they're willing to pay more for hurricane insurance during hurricane season. And then if you sell a hurricane, you know, who makes more money? The company that sells the insurance or the insurance buyer? Well, over time, the insurance company. Mm -hmm. uh, or you could ask that about the casino. Who makes more money over time, the gambler or the casino? Right. So by selling a put option, you can be the insurance company, you can be the casino, you can be the, the lotto company, whatever analogy you want to make. I got tons of them, folks. All right. <laughs> that's, and, um, that's something you know, we just came to the realization of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, most people are buyers of options and then you're kind of the gambler. And I'm not saying there is no time ever to buy options, but, uh, you know, because once in a while, you know, somebody comes along and they buy insurance and then they get really sick the next day just by chance and then it works out great for them that they bought the insurance and it works out badly for the insurance company but what happens most of the time most of the time people pay their monthly premiums and get nothing for it and they just put more, more money into the system into the mm -hmm. hand over more money every month to the insurance company and over time the insurance company wins in the long term so right. uh, it's a really great way to go and so i like being an option seller net Okay. I'm, sometimes I buy, but overall I'm selling. And what, what uh, strategies are you employing when you do that? Uh, spreads, uh, well, cover calls, puts? At any time you're selling net, that's usually a good way to go. Uh, so for example, just selling a put option, you know, mm -hmm. it, it just straight up. Uh, there's a hundred shares of stock you want to buy. Okay. I want to buy it at a price lower than the current price. So mm -hmm. I'm going to sell one put option every hundred shares I'm willing to buy. Don't over leverage yourself. All right. right. Uh, and, and don't sell the put option unless you're really willing to buy the hundred shares at that price at the strike price, as they call right. it. Uh, don't just sell it and think, Oh, it'll probably won't go down that far. And so hopefully I'll just get to keep the premium payment. Ha ha ha. You know, <laughs> right. It, it, you, you can't think like that. It might go down that far, even if you go way down right. uh, in, with the strike price. Uh, you'll be amazed what can happen. I mean, who predicted that uh, the S&P 500 would go down 34% uh, at one point last year? So right. anything could happen. And then you could do what's called playing the wheel. Uh, and I've got videos on all these things. Just type it in, you'll find it. Playing the wheel, as options uh, sellers call it, is you, you buy 100 shares by selling a put option. Mm -hmm. um, and then if the stock price goes way down, ask that strike price, then you're going to end up buying 100 shares, but you bought it at a heck of a discount, right? Right. And because you got paid up front a bunch of money. So then 
Now you own 100 shares. Okay. Now, how do you get out of that position? Well, you start selling covered calls or one covered call for every 100 mm -hmm. shares that you own. And so selling the put option got you into the stock buying. And then if you got put the stock, as they say, if you got assigned, then you can get out of that. You can sell your 100 shares by selling a covered call. And then when the stock comes up at some point, if it's a great company, you only do this with great companies like Apple, you know, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, that kind of thing. Disney, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, then eventually, if the stock comes back up, then the covered you sold the covered call, and then that takes you out because now you have to sh sell your shares, your hundred shares to somebody. But you got paid for that as well by selling right. the covered call. So you got paid uh, on the put sale, right? That's the first part of the wheel, and then the second part of the wheel is that you, uh, if you get assigned, if you don't get assigned. On your put sale, then you just got a free premium payment. You, you sold and somebody you a worthless again. contract, right? That's not the end of the world. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but if you did get a sign, then you sell the covered call. And then let's say the covered call, uh, I don't know, expires a week later, a month later, whatever. And you just sell another covered call. And you keep doing that until finally, eventually, the stock's going to probably go up if it's a great company. And then eventually, you have to, you get a sign, you have to sell your 100 shares. You collected all those premium payments. And there you are. That's the wheel. And then you can start over at the top of the circle again, if you can picture this in your head, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I explain in a video with visuals, but you know, you just rinse and repeat. You rotate through that wheel, and that's a great way to collect income on stocks. Um, and yeah. yeah, and you don't even care if you don't even care uh, about making money off of the stock price movement because you're just collecting income from the put sales and the covered call sales. Are you trying to take advantage of the volatility too, or are you just trying to pick mm -hmm. something that you know is not going to go bankrupt? Basically, well, both. I mean, you're only doing this on companies that I, I don't want to say no. That's right. not going to go bankrupt. No guarantees. When I was a kid, Radio Shack was a huge company. Right. <laughs> right. right. Blockbuster remember. too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, Toys R Us, MySpace. Yeah. Remember that, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I think I still have an account floating out there. <laughs> I'm still friends with Tom. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, Tom. Yeah, good old Tom. Poor Tom. <laughs> Nobody cares about him Nobody. anymore, right? <laughs> Nobody. He was he was big in 2005. Remember that? So yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you want these only do this on companies that are I don't want to say I know, but are unlikely to go to zero. Mm -hmm. um, giant mega caps, great way to go, right? And then um, yeah, and then when volatility expands, uh, but when does that happen? What's going up? When when the stock price goes down? When it goes down. Well, okay, technically volatility can go up if the stock price goes up, it can, but you're still going to collect pennies on the dollar for with your put sale. So mm -hmm. you, you want volatility to go up and the stock price to go down. Okay. Yeah. I mean, technically you're right if you say, well, the volatility expands when the stock price goes up sharply, like a GameStop type of thing. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but still, you, you don't want to chase stock prices up. You want to sell a put when when the stock price is down. Okay. I just now got into covered calls. I've been so terrified mm -hmm. about selling an option, about writing the contract that I've stayed away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but <laughs> this week, literally yesterday, I started selling covered calls and I'm already loving it. I started yeah. uh, two weeks ago or last week. And uh, yeah, same thing. Like. Yeah. Hey, this is the uh, way even you actually you probably win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you are not playing the wheel, I mean, let's say you didn't sell a put option to to end up buying 100 shares. Let's say you just That's bought 100 shares. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's fine. That's fine. Why not? Or 200 shares, you know, lots of 100, right? Uh, why not sell? 
covered calls um, because options 80% of the time uh, options don't go as far as the options market thought it would. Right. So if you collected, a, I don't know, $2 per share for your, when you sold the covered call, chances are 80% overall, generally speaking, that it, it won't even go a dollar, you know, won't even move that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you're the casino, you know, you're, you're not the gambler. Uh, so, and what's the worst that could happen? Okay. So the, the, well, I guess the worst that could happen is that your the stock goes way down, but that has nothing to do with selling the covered call. Um, that, that had to do with you buying hundred shares. So what's the worst that could happen with the covered call? All right. The share price, the stock price goes up like a rocket. And instead of making $2 a share, you could have made $18 a share, whatever. Make up some yeah. fantastical figure, right? Right. All right. So you're, you're slapping yourself in the head. Oh, why did I sell that covered call? Look, you made money. Okay. Get over it. And 80% of the time, yeah. And 80% of the time, it doesn't go up like a rocket. Most of the time, right. it just kind of drifts sideways. And you're glad you sold the covered call. It doesn't go as far as the options market uh, thought it would. Uh, the, the options market is pretty bad at predicting how far it'll go. I mean, they're usually pretty close, but generally it doesn't go as far as the price of that option. So it's usually a better right. deal. Well, it has to be, right? To hedge the risk that is associated with writing those, right? Because there's what, when you what's buy the risk a premium. I'm saying yeah. it has to be written that way to to give the incentive to actually sell it because there is that uh, even though unlikely, uh, I guess an undefined. Yeah, <laughs> right. And 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 the call buyer, that's what he's he's hoping for because right. the call buyer he gets to have that fantasy that uh, of unlimited potential upside. Mm. Right. As an option seller, you don't get to have that fantasy, but it is just yeah. a fantasy. It happens once in a while. People win the lottery once in a while, but that doesn't make the lottery, even if the lottery ticket is only 10 bucks, it, it's not worth it. Right. In terms of statistical averages. Do you ever pl- like play the wheel on ETFs? Mm-hmm. But you don't collect much. Yeah. Right. Uh, the options market, uh, they're stupid, but not th- they're not dumb. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> as Bugs Bunny used to say, um, they, they know that uh, an ETF just isn't probably going to move much unless it's maybe a gold miners, you know, GDXJ juniors kind of thing. But generally speaking, stocks move further typically than ETFs. Yeah. And so you're not going to collect much on your option sales both ways, both for selling the put and selling the covered call. Uh, so just be aware of that. So uh, individual stocks are usually better for that sort of thing, uh, but there's also more risk. So right. you know, mm-hmm. greater risk is associated with greater rewards. So just be aware of that. Can you, uh, can you tell me what uh, screener selections you use or what do you find most helpful in identifying uh, stocks that you wanna target? Sure. You know, screeners are just really a tool. I mean, I have a watch list and I generally stick to that. Mm-hmm. And when I coach people, we put together together a, uh, a watch list for that person um, so that they're not constantly using screeners to look for the, the next shiny object. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can go to Finviz dot com that kind of thing and look for, you know, you search for large caps and mega caps usually to start out with. 
it's great to stick to those. And then uh, because those are less likely to go to zero and also there's better liquidity, you know, smaller, mm-hmm. tighter bid ask spreads, right. uh, which is important in the world of options. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you don't want, you know, a, a 50 cents wide between the bid and the ask if the options themselves are, you know, two bucks, right? So, uh, yeah, we can use screeners to build a watch list. But once we've built that watch list, uh, generally, generally, I like people to stick to it. I don't like them to be screening every day, looking for new things. Um, hmm. I'd rather I'd rather somebody be an expert at uh, between ten and twenty stocks and the options on those stocks than to try to be screening every day for new things and have a collection of a hundred different things they don't know much about. You don't want to be a dilettante right. or a dabbler. You want to really be conversant uh, and thoroughly familiar with a smaller number of of assets, and they don't all have to be stocks. They could be ETF, whatever it is. Should they be in different industries then? So you're not all overloaded in one sector or do you even care mm-hmm. about that? Yeah. Diversification is, is a great idea. And so if somebody comes to me as, as a client, as, you know, as a co- coaching student and, uh, and they come to me with, uh, let's say 15 different stocks that they want to trade or trade options on possibly, and they're all in the same sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never utilities. It's never something safe. No, it's right. always, a, it's <laughs> always, a, especially if they're, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially if they're 19 years old, they're not going to pick, you know, uh, uh, electric companies and things like that or Coca-Cola, right? They're all they're going to they're going to come back sometimes with uh, (laughs) 15 different, uh, you know, penny stocks Mm -hmm. or whatever or or, um, electric vehicle stocks or uh, solar stocks. Because they heard, you know, whatever they they heard that uh, there was a blue wave, and so uh, there's going to be legislation. They heard or cannabis mm-hmm. stocks, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. So or cryptocurrencies. They they come to me with twenty different cryptocurrencies, and they say, "Hey, the, David, did I do a good job? You gave me this homework, right? <laughs> I researched them thoroughly." I'm like, "Well, great, but you know, the cryptocurrencies tend to move together. Yeah, uh, marijuana stocks tend to move together, right? And so right. and they're volatile. And so we try to mix less volatile assets." with uh with the more volatile ones and some some medium vol- volatility ones as well uh with more weighting toward the less volatile uh, assets especially if it's a beginner right um i did go through and watch some of the videos that you had on your youtube and i really like some of the the analysis that you did um yeah. one of the things that i saw was mentioned those you were pointing out a couple different stocks i don't remember the ticker exactly but you pointed out that it's the rise was just too much too fast mm-hmm. um, my question is that when you see that happen on a key, like a key piece of good news, like um, how far do you expect that stock to typically retreat? Or do you even look at it like that? Or is that just something you just stay away from? I stay away from. Yeah. If, if something goes up a lot, shorting is a dangerous game to play because when you short sell a stock, you can lose more money than you have in your account. Right. Um, a lot of people had that happen with GameStop. They said, oh, it's, it's gone up too much too fast. So I'll say that as a shorthand way of just saying it's gone up steeply and sharply. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I mean by too much too fast is just it's gone up too much to even consider touching it, you know, right. buying it. Uh, but I saw you drawn out. I saw you drawn out uh, like the bottom points trying to pick or find the resistance points. Yeah. Um, like, are you watching those ever to see if they bounce off of them or? Or sure. again, is that just too volatile for you? Are you not going to even mess with those? Uh, well, I love it when some, when a great company 
especially if it's been around for a long time and has plenty of volume, all that good stuff. I researched mm-hmm. it thoroughly. And then if it's gone down a whole lot, then I might, again, as a shorthand, just say, oh, this has gone down too much. This is irrational. Could it go down more? Of course. But if it's come down to a resistance level, which really is just drawing a line where it's come down to before. Right. Uh, and you're just connecting lows, you know, swing lows, as they call them. Uh, if you can connect some swing lows and the more, the better. I mean, if, a stock, let's say, has come down to $20 like five times and bounced off of it every time. And the next time it comes down to $20, uh, is there a guarantee? No, this is not a hardwood floor. You can crash right, right through it, but the probabilities <laughs> are pretty good, I would say, at that point that it's not going to go too much lower. And so you can sell a put option. You're going to get a nice big premium payment for it because people are freaking out and they're buying that proverbial hurricane insurance when it's storming outside. And uh, then just sit on your hands. And if you get assigned, at least you bought it at a good price and you got paid for it handsomely. Right. Um, if you don't get assigned, then you sold somebody a worthless contract. So that it's a pretty good way to go. Yeah. Sounds good to me. And do you have anything uh, on your channel that, that people can go to that'll kind of show you how to, how to do that type of analysis to, to try to find those resistance points? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Again, if people go to YouTube and just type in the search box, David Modell, M-O-A-D-E-L, and I've got playlists on there. I've got a technical indicators playlist with over, gosh, 100 videos at least, uh, which have all that stuff. Uh, and then every, usually Saturdays, I'll put out a video, uh, which I think you alluded to uh, about uh, just chart patterns that I'm looking at mm-hmm. for the coming week. Uh, and that's for swing traders mainly. But I also have uh, videos for day traders and long-term buy and hold. And I called it looking at the markets uh, for a reason because I, I cover almost everything in the markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not, uh, I don't know, binary options or something, I guess. <laughs> there, there's some corner, there's some dark corners of the, uh, <laughs> of the financial markets that I don't really get into too much. But hey, you never know. Maybe I'll do something about that someday. Uh, right. But uh, yeah, I, I cover uh, gold, silver, cryptocurrencies, stocks, options, uh, many different timeframes, charts, fundamentals, you name it. Excellent. Yeah, we'll definitely share some of those. We'll make sure we put that in the episode description too. So people listening cool. can find it easily. Yeah. David, what are what are some of the things that keep investing exciting for you? Like, do you, do you ever get like bored? Mm. Just like, oh, doing this too much. But, but oh, and then this thing comes along. You're like, oh, this is why I love it. Yeah. It. You <laughs> know what keeps me interested is how irrational it can get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with, whether it's GameStop, AMC, things like that. There's always something that bounds me, but also fascinates me. Uh, maybe I'm just uh, interested in sci- human psychology mm. and, and behavioral disorders. <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> um, you know, when I see something like GameStop going up that much, it's it really amazes me. And uh, because if you look at it from a fundamentals point of view, if you look at it through Warren Buffett's eyes, uh, mm-hmm. Or you know John C. Bogle, the the Vanguard guy who uh, passed away not that long ago, or Charlie Munger, one of them. Uh, it's it's really astounding that a it's really a legacy business. Uh, people are not going to a physical game store location that much anymore. I'm talking about young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, buy video games they're they're downloading them or streaming them online who, who really goes to gamestop that much anymore so it's a legacy business it, it's not that different from blockbuster really they're still around but they're not making huge amounts of money uh and the, the share price shouldn't be three digits uh <laughs> it, it should be you know, one digit uh, and it was for a long time 
And then suddenly it's a, it's a triple digit uh, stock and it's craziness. And it's interesting to me. I can write about it. I can give my opinion on it and uh, you know, maybe make money from it. Uh, but you just have to be really careful. That's all. Yeah, no kidding. Especially with one like that. Yeah. Yep. yeah, or or what are the other? You got to be careful coming out being <laughs> if you're uh, if you are taking a short position. I think you got to be careful saying that today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, not recommended. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't recommend going on the short side of anything that volatile. Uh, shorting is is generally a, the domain of people who really know what they're doing, which is very few people, and you don't have to do it at all, and it's okay. Yep, we. I have no problem not messing. So with that. you're not telling me <laughs> yeah. I should go buy sell some puts on GME. Um, if it, <laughs> well, you know, if it went down enough, if it went down to like, GME used to be a five dollar stock, yeah. and so if it went from three digits to five dollars, and then down more than that, if it went to let's say two dollars, uh, and then I'm thinking in my head, well, this should at least be a three, four, or five dollar stock. It used to be before all this craziness happened. Um, think about how panicky uh, traders in the options market would be if it went from three digits to, let's say, $2. Right. Uh, that would be quite a downdraft. And uh, then, yeah, then maybe sell a, a $2 put at that point. Um, even that would be very risky. But imagine if you got paid, let's say, a dollar per share on a $2 put, which means you'd effectively be buying it at $1. Mm-hmm. Net, right? Or if you don't get assigned, then you're making, uh, well, a uh, dollar on a $2 potential investment. So you'd be making 50% on your investment. Um, that wouldn't be too bad. I could work that. But even then, please be careful. Do, folks, don't actually do this. I'm just thinking out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to take up too much time with GameStop. Uh, Dan, do you have any other stock-related questions before we move on to cryptos? Uh, no, no. I'm excited to move on to cryptos. All right. Well, I want to start out, and this is for anybody out there listening that doesn't understand it. Uh, I, I guess for me too, because I don't quite understand why it's worth anything. But like, what exactly is Bitcoin? How did it come about? How is it created? What gives it its value? Like, can you can you kind of elaborate on some of that for us? Sure. Yeah, it's it's great to talk about this. Just today, earlier uh, at around noon, I spoke with uh, Mr. Frank Holmes. Uh, who is from Hive Blockchain Tech, one of the biggest, most important mining, cryptocurrency mining companies in the world. So that on my YouTube channel, I get to speak with uh, all, you know, so many experts. Um, and so I'm very privileged that way. And we were talking about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and how these are mined, how they're created, uh, which it's not like regular money, uh, quote mm -hmm. unquote, or fiat money. Fiat meaning the government decreed or declared by authoritative decree that it's worth something. Um, so nowadays, yes, we have paper money, but how much of paper money do we really have? I mean, when was the last time you touched paper money? For most people, not recently. Uh, so the idea of digital money isn't a foreign concept anymore. But imagine if a group of people, a grassroots movement at, in around 20, uh, 2009, mm -hmm. um, uh, and computer nerds okay so uh, a grassroots a grassroots movement of computer nerds coders got together and said you know we're going to create our own digital money again not a foreign concept anymore okay we're all should all be used to it by now and so we're going to create our own currency and it'll have nothing to do with the government it won't be fiat won't be worth something just because the government says so uh it'll be worth something because we say so uh we're going to 
you know, it'll be like people's money. All right. Right. Uh, because we're tired. We're sick and tired of inflation making our dollars or yen or, you know, uh, whatever, you know, <laughs> pound sterling, whatever it is you're listening to, because this could go around the world, mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, we're tired of our fiat money becoming worth less and less and less because the government just keeps printing the currency units and printing them and printing them and now printing even more. Uh, you know, the right. government is going is about to approve $1.9 trillion of uh, relief slash stimulus money. Yep. Well, where does that come from? They just print and spend. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not making a political it's statement here. I'm reality. just saying what, yeah. where does this money come from? Uh, right. It's, it comes from, you know, the, the government printing it up out of thin air, basically. And so uh, this is Bitcoin. This was uh, invented, supposedly the code by the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto, yeah. right? Uh, some, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Uh, this, some mysterious person. No one knows whether that's the real name of the person who invented the Bitcoin code, uh, but it doesn't matter who, who invented it. I actually kind of like this shroud of mystery surrounding it. Um, it's kind of cool because I don't want anybody to own it. I want it to be what they call decentralized, which means mm-hmm. it's not owned or uh, de- determined by the government, okay, or by any central body. All right? It's kind of everybody's so, money. We all we all have the code, and therefore nobody has it. I'm sorry, you had yeah, a question? Yeah, so uh, Kyle and I had been talking about this uh, on our last episode. I had come across an article that was mentioning how if we the, one of the fears of coinbase going public their their analysts said if we find out who uh, uh i don't remember the name you just said it who the pre- that mysterious person is it would hurt yeah. the price of bitcoin uh i don't think we'll find out i don't even know if anybody cares that much maybe the historians might care but as the years go by i don't think it matters who yeah. started it and if people find out i don't know how they would prove it anyway um i, I don't think it would matter at this point uh, enough people have bitcoin that it kind of belongs to everybody who wants to get involved mm-hmm. uh, anybody who's sick and tired of inflation who's sick and tired of of the money the printing and spending which is just endless uh sick and tired of your dollar which used to when i was a kid a dollar meant something you could buy something for a dollar now you can't even buy a candy bar for a dollar anymore it's ridiculous Or you, you can get a very small one for a dollar yeah. now, you know. <laughs> so, uh, whereas the number is 21 million, that's how many Bitcoins they'll ever make um, unless they start changing the rules. I hope not. Um, but as long as they don't change the rules, which they haven't so far, only 21 million Bitcoins will ever be mined. And so I was speaking with somebody today who's the head of a company that mines uh, the currency. And I think there's going to be a need for that. I think it's a pretty good uh, niche sector to consider getting into. Um, And also, I think that uh, just blockchain companies in general uh, should have a lot of value because the blockchain is the digital ledger for people who are unfamiliar uh, that transactions are kept on. And more and more uh, hash power is going to be needed to keep track of all these Mm -hmm. transactions, right? Um, Just like banks have to keep track of transactions you make, you know, your debits and credits. Uh, Well, imagine an entire currency uh, where they need to keep track of, you know, who bought what and who sold what. And then the IRS is going to want to keep track of these things. And Mm -hmm. so there are companies that, that, 
provide these services. And uh, I, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm all for it. Uh, I hope that it continues to succeed. I hope that more uh, hedge funds and institutions and banks get involved, and they are getting involved. Um, they're starting yeah. to, uh, you know, JP Morgan uh, plans to have the JPM coin. Uh, I don't know if they'll be able to compete successfully with uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum necessarily, but I, I think it's a good sign that, uh, you know, banks are starting to get involved with it. Have you, have you heard of Chia? Chia. Chia Net. Is Chia. They're, they're trying to start uh, their own cryptocurrency, but with farming instead of mining, I, bl- I believe it's okay. called. So it's like using hard drive space instead of uh, running stuff through GPUs. Okay. I mean, everybody's got their, their new, uh, you know, coin idea, token idea, mining <laughs> idea. Uh, I, I can't even keep track of them anymore. Uh, there have been so many ICOs, uh, initial coin offerings. Uh, so, yeah, especially now that uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum have gone up in price, Bitcoin went past 50, 50K, $50,000 per Bitcoin. So now it's it's kind of like December of 2017 again, where everybody's got a new ICO. Everybody's got a new idea for cryptocurrency. And it's fine. It's cool. Um, or you could just stick with Bitcoin, Ethereum, and maybe find some companies that mine it. Uh, that kind of thing, or provide the hash power and get involved with those. Whatever you do, folks, just don't mortgage your house to buy anything <laughs> involved. <laughs> that's good advice for anything that you want to yeah. buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But I say mortgage your house because somebody actually did that in 2017. Oh god! And they probably regretted it for a couple of years when Bitcoin went down to I think it was $3,100 yeah. per Bitcoin at one point from you know from 20,000 back in late 2017. Unless I mean, I guess if the guy held on, I don't know where he would have lived for the last <laughs> right. three years. But um, if he well, if he found it an apartment somewhere and uh, or moved in with his girlfriend or whatever, and then just uh, wrote it out, now now he's probably doing okay. Uh, but who knows whether he did, he did that? So yeah, not recommended. Well, with the institutions buying Bitcoin now, like you just alluded to, I think Tesla was another one that, that took a big mm-hmm. stake. Um, are we done seeing those massive like eighty percent drops? Like is is there the institutional presence enough to kind of stabilize it a bit? I mean, it's still volatile, but yeah, and there will probably be other side, you know, over 50% drops. Uh, there have been several. Uh, it's just that hardly anybody was paying attention when there were big drops in, you know, 2012, 2013, 2015, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, everybody knows, everybody seems to know about the one that happened in uh, 2018. So it, there will be other large drops. That's normal. It's a new technology, a new process. It's going to have growing pains. And that's to be expected. And if you want to just set it and forget it or HODL, right? H-O-D-L, hold on for dear life, as, as the right. uh, buy and holders <laughs> like to say. Um, and then maybe add on, I, I spoke with Ronnie Moas who, uh, a few years ago, who's a cryptocurrency kind of maven, I guess. And uh, his strategy that he told me about on my channel uh, was to and is to um, buy and hold. Then when it drops, let's say 50% or more, uh, buy a little bit more just, you know, add to it, accumulate on the drops. Uh, and he was right. I mean, he was saying this uh, back when it was, you know, the, when the Bitcoin Ethereum prices were a lot lower than, than they were today. So that strategy uh, should do well. Um, or you could just buy it and just not look, yeah. you know, and then yeah. 
maybe maybe five years later it'll be double, triple, ten x. Who knows, right? Right. Which uh, which cryptocurrency currently on the market? You mentioned a few of them, but which one do you think has the best potential potential to uh, challenge or or at least mimic Bitcoin? Uh, well, I'd say Ethereum um, because it's very versatile. Uh, when people have ICOs, they're usually using Ethereum as a basis for it. Uh, so it, it, it's Ethereum is very very popular. Has a lot of a lot of use cases, uh, and it's also known for uh, having high volume. And uh, Bitcoin is called the mothership of uh, of cryptocurrencies, <laughs> but there's room for more than one. Uh, so I'd right. say Ethereum, Ripple, also uh, Ripple is the bankers supposedly the the bankers uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, so that could be interesting if if some banks really start getting involved in Ripple. Hmm. Uh, and then an interesting one lately is uh, I, I I've heard a couple of pronunciations D O G E Dogecoin. I think it's doggy because it was supposed to be a dog, joke yeah, about his dog. dog. Um, you know, it, it started out as a joke supposedly, just kind of a meme coin, and then uh, the you know Wall Street bets Reddit crowd took it over and and ran it up and um, but then that's all fine and good if you want to buy very small amounts of that just to see if it goes up, right. but. That kind of reminds me of GameStop. So mm-hmm. I, I'd rather uh, <laughs> own something that has use cases and that people can actually uh, buy into as a token, as a coin, rather than as a trade. So what actually differentiates these different types? Is it just in the process in which they're mined or is even the application completely different? Yeah, uh, well, all the above. Um, yeah, each token is different. Um, so if you, you know what, I would just start by going on coinmarketcap.com or one of those okay. uh, where they have like the list of the high, you know, highest market cap uh, tokens out there and just start with the top 10. If you're thinking about investing, I'm not saying buy all 10 of those. <laughs> I'm saying you know, use, that kind of there. Menu, <laughs> use that as a starting point of things you might want to take very small positions in, maybe a couple of those. Uh, because when you start going down the list and getting into the obscure coins, you know, you get into your pizza coin or your pot coin or whatever, then, um, you know, <laughs> that could be, uh, it's kind of like a penny stock, you know, it, right. it could go up a lot or it could be gone tomorrow. So uh, back to that, I, that lottery ticket that you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. And so lottery tickets are fine for, you know, once in a while you buy a few dollars worth, but it's not, it shouldn't be your bread and butter. Right. Wait, I shouldn't try, try to zero cost average my lottery ticket purchases. <laughs> I like, yeah. <laughs> I like how you call it zero cost average instead of dollar cost average. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it would go to zero possibly. So yeah, that's a, that, that's a new uh, phrase. I'm going to oh, steal from please zero do, cost. Because that's how I think of yeah. my lottery purchases. I- <laughs> like yep got to keep that average at that. zero <laughs> no, no, no thanks so uh you, you had mentioned earlier that uh you're also involved in like gold and silver mm-hmm. do you think bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have a role in becoming the new you know uh, gold is like a classic hedge against inflation uh that doesn't doesn't seem to be doing that so much these days from what i understand but uh do, do you think uh, uh crypto is is threatening the the metal role in that sure is people ask is uh, is bitcoin digital gold basically or is it a, a mm. replacement for gold uh, but you're talking about two totally different things they have commonalities um, they both are inflation hedges because only 21 million bitcoins will ever be mined um, you know there's only 
so much gold in the earth to be mined. They can't print gold, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah, they both have that purpose and they both have a place uh, in, in one's portfolio. Um, are they really comparable in other ways? Not so much. Uh, because don't tell the gold crowd, don't tell the gold bugs that, uh, that Bitcoin is digital gold. They'll be very unhappy with you. They'll take offense. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, believe me, uh, if you go into a gold forum, uh, let's say on, on Facebook, uh, yeah, they'll come after you <laughs> verbally because oh, wow. to them, and I see the argument here, uh, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. That's what they'll tell you. Uh, so they uh. want something because they have a, a lot, a lot of, um, people who are gold bugs have a firm belief that the you know what is going to hit the fan yeah and that right. everything that is just you know ones and zeros everything that's just digital uh, if the grid goes down then that won't be worth anything and so to them the tangible properties of gold and silver and other commodities are very important uh so who am i to say the wrong i mean you know i don't know what the future holds i i, I didn't know that uh, we'd all be wearing masks you know yeah. <laughs> right if you ask me that uh, a year and a half ago is everybody going to be walking around wearing masks and walking down i'd say okay, that's crazy right so crazy things can happen um well, and to me and there's, there's, there's oh, sorry go ahead so to me there's one other key difference when you're comparing crypto to gold and that's that gold has an actual use to oh, a marketable yeah, yeah. use you know in in uh, circuitry and other mm. other things whereas i don't i don't necessarily see that with bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies well, now you're going to offend the, the crypto yeah. crowd right i know right see so and I, my it's, channel uh, straddles both all of these camps so i have mm-hmm. to you know <laughs> you have to appease them all but yeah no it, you can say there's no industrial use uh for uh, uh Bitcoin. Uh, that's, sure. Yes, good point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it could still be very, very useful as just as a currency, as the people's currency, as something that's not going to deteriorate over time. So everything could have use for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, ask somebody in, let's say, uh, Brazil or Argentina who wants to send money to relatives in the United States. Uh, and, you know, they don't want to. Uh, be bothered losing, you know, five, 10 or more percent sometimes because of the exchange rate, because their right. home country's currency is heading even quickly, more quickly towards worthlessness than the US dollar. Are you going to tell that person that cryptocurrency uh, doesn't have a use, right? So, yeah. Yep. yeah. And so it, it can have a use, can have a very important use. Um, I- cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum are borderless. Uh, and I, I'd like the fact that they're decentralized. I like some things about them. Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, the, it's interesting, like some people in the prepper crowd, they love their gold and silver while others love their, uh, digital currencies. Mm-hmm. And then some love both and some love neither. And so it's really hard to generalize when it comes to these things. Yeah. Dan, do you have any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, regarding gold and silver, um, what what do you find yourself trading like I, I when i first really got into playing with silver it was the slv etf the uh what's it i share mm-hmm. silver um and i made yeah. a ton of money buying just buying calls and then i lost it all with buying calls uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and and i i've always been attracted to like gold and silver 
Um, just just as, you know, growing up, my grandfather and my uncle were both like, oh, you buy physical gold, like keep it. So so it's 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 just ingrained as like, well, that's something of value. Uh, what uh, what are the methods you use to trade uh, those metals? Sure. I like to look at the gold to silver ratio. And I've made videos on that. If people want to look it up. Yeah. And uh Gold to silver ratio basically answers the question, how many uh, ounces of uh, gold, I'm sorry, how many ounces of silver would it take to buy one ounce of gold, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just a comparison. Uh, so if the gold to silver ratio is very high, uh, then silver is undervalued comparatively, compared to gold. And if the gold to silver ratio is very low, then silver might be a little bit uh, overvalued compared to gold. Uh, huh. So uh, historically, it averages around 60. I've heard different numbers, but that seems to be the median answer that I've gotten from, from experts that I've spoken to. Uh, and at one point, the gold to silver ratio was around 120 last year, uh, oh, which wow. is double the, the average. Uh, that's when silver was just getting beaten up and everybody was rushing into gold at that time. Commodities traders were rushing into gold. And so uh, that was a great time to get into silver. I was recommending it heartily. And then uh, the gold to silver ratio went you know, way down and silver shot up like a rocket. And uh, you know, went from, silver went from uh, $11 and change to you know, now it's uh, you know, threatening 30 at this point. So uh, that's a great way to get in. You got to be a contrarian with these things. And then if someday uh, silver is overvalued compared to gold, you can go the other, other way around. And so how do you do that? Well, uh, if you have gold and silver, you reallocate uh, you, or rebalance, I should say. So let's say you have a lot. Uh, let's say you have an equal amount of gold and silver. Then the gold to silver ratio, let's say it's very high when it was 120. At that point, you might want to uh, have more silver than gold, right? That kind of thing. Gotcha. And so you're, you're betting that it's going to revert to the mean. Uh, that's a very simple way to do it. You're not going to get rich overnight uh, because the ratio doesn't change drastically overnight. It's not going to go from 120 to 60 in a day or, or from 60 to 20 or 20 to 60 or whatever in a day. It's going to happen over months or maybe years, but you can literally double or triple your money that way if you allocate correctly over time. Right. Huh. That is, that, that's something really good to know. Yeah, I'm writing notes. Right, and, and, <laughs> and to hear you say uh, it's going to revert to the mean, of all of uh, the, the trading videos and books I've been reading the last few weeks, that seems to be the common theme, is, is find situations where the deviation from the mean is larger than, it, than you feel like it should be. Because over time, things do. That's what it makes it the average, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to go back. Yeah. Right? Well, here's the thing. Yeah, some folks are still contrarians, but not too many. Uh, in, in a bull market that's gone up so much, and tech stocks have gone up so much since 2009, it seems like almost everybody on YouTube is more of a momentum trader than an actual contrarian. So uh, you've got a lot of, you know, buy high in the hopes of selling higher mm -hmm. people right. out there as opposed to buy low, sell high. It's, it's hard to find buy, actual buy low, sell high people. Um, but I still do it. Uh, it's part of my DNA at this point because I've been doing it for so long and I still believe in it and I still profit from it. I'm, I'm trying to learn that lesson myself because uh, <laughs> uh, I, when I really first got started, I was definitely into just momentum. 
Uh, but I was just talking to my father. He was given some United Airlines stock back in the 2000s, and he had it was like worth forty thousand dollars. And then when United Airlines tanked, and all the airline industries tanks, and it went down. It went from like forty some dollars, sixty some dollars a share, down to four. And he ended up selling it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, right. No, and and I told, and then and and he was asking me about it, and I said, well, you know, I'm no expert yet, Dad, but I can say in your situation is. If you had bought more at that price, saying United Airlines isn't going away, look at what it'd be at today. And then, and it was like I was talking to him, but I was really talking to myself. Like, hey, Dan, <laughs> you should buy it when it's low and then sell it when it's high. And that is what w- the great investors do. Uh, well, the old school ones, the Warren Buffetts mm-hmm. of the world. Yep. Uh, they, yeah, yeah. They, if they like American Airlines, I mean, Buffett wouldn't have bought it at 40, let's say, yeah. you know, he wouldn't, have, uh, let's say he bought it at 10. If he liked it at 10, he would have loved it at five. He wouldn't have freaked out. Yeah. He would have bought more. And that's why he wouldn't have bought so much at 10. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have gone all in at 10. Whatever amount he wanted to allocate would have allocated a third of that or half of it at most. And so that's the maturity of scaling in as a strategy and scaling out as well. Um, and another thing that that's what I try to teach uh, to people when I when I coach them is, uh, you know, if you want to invest a thousand dollars in something, don't do it all at once. Uh, put in, you know, 300 or something, put in a third of it. And that way you're happy if the stock immediately goes up, you make money. Right. Okay, you, you didn't make as much as if you put a thousand in. But how often does that happen that you buy a stock and it immediately rockets up? Right. That's that's pretty rare. Um, so you're happy if it goes up. You're happy if it goes down because then you get to put in another third, and then the then you, you you're almost kind of a little bit masochistic. You kind of want it to go down after you start <laughs> <Yeah>. buying it. <laughs> yeah. so you're happy either way, um, which is a really great way to go. A lot of great stuff, David. Thank you so much. I know. Thank you. We're, yeah. we're kind of running towards the end of our allotted time here. Should we? Uh, yep. Should we see how you guys do on a stock market quiz? Oh yeah, I think it's time for some fun stuff. <laughs> Dave, are you uh, you game? Yeah, I, I have no idea what I'm getting into now, but let's do it. <laughs> For the record, neither do I. So we're in the same boat. I'm going to read you guys some questions here about the stock market, and we'll see who knows more. <laughs> you or Dan. <laughs> oh, lovely. No, now, no consequences it, on this. We like to bet on the oh, show, wow. but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just do this one for fun. There's no, there's no buzzer, so we just blurt it out, or how does it work? Uh, yeah, I think that'll work. <laughs> or we could rotate. <laughs> All right. First question here. Uh, where is the oldest stock exchange in the world? Amsterdam. I got multiple choice here I can give you. Amsterdam. No. <laughs> so All right. you, uh, you got Lyon, France, Barcelona, Spain, Hamburg, Germany, Tolos, France, Antwerp, Berge- uh, Belgium, or Geneva, Switzerland. Mm, I just have a weird feeling that everything in Germany is old, so I'm going with Germany. <laughs> <laughs> ah, see, I thought Geneva when I was taking this originally, but it's actually Antwerp. Antwerp. Uh, opened its doors mm-hmm. in 1460 and it kept going until 1997. Oh, okay. Don't diamonds come from Antwerp? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that from Snatch? <laughs> yeah. All right. Question number two. Where was the first stock exchange in the United States? Boston, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. New York, New York, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or Washington, D.C.? first stock exchange in the united states it's 100 percent philadelphia Mm. and that is correct philadelphia was founded in uh, 1790 predating the new york stock exchange by two years 
Well, it was it was the American yeah. capital at the time, so right? It makes sense that that's where okay. Okay. to me. This is a good one here. Uh, what was the first listed company on the New York Stock Exchange? Ooh, in the 1700s. And then we got Nationwide in- Nationwide Insurance, Prudential, Bank of New York, or Merrill Lynch. Mm. I'm tempted to say Prudential. Tempted, or are you? <laughs> I, I'm saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying Final to stop you from that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bank of New York first traded uh, in 1792. Are they still hmm. around? I don't know. They've probably been bought out by now, you'd think, right? All right, last question here. Uh, what's the largest stock exchange in the world in terms of market capitalization? New York Stock Exchange, Tokyo Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, Bombay Stock Exchange, London Stock Exchange, or Hong Kong? I think Hong Kong. Got to be New York. And it is. That is correct. New York. Yeah. All right, so one one tie. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I think that's my last question on here. A poor showing all around, but hey, good actually, try. I got one more. I got one more. We'll, right. we'll go with tie the tiebreaker here. Uh, what does it mean when a trader flashes four parallel to the floor, palm out? Does that mean to sell four shares, sell nine shares, buy four shares, or buy nine shares? Four fingers, palm oh, out. Four fingers parallel to the floor, palm out. This is something we should have asked the, the last guy. <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm, like I'm reaching out to, to I don't know, it's almost like throw, I, I'm about to throw a ball underhanded? Is that- uh, I think it's more like, like your fingers are at a 90 degree angle, like when you're flashing the number four, and then your palm is facing towards the person you're showing that to. But the fingers are facing the floor, so like I'm going to grope them. No, they're parallel to the floor. That means they're going the same direction okay. the floor is. Okay. Horizontal. All right. All right. That's a little easier. I'm trying to make the hand movement. <laughs> yeah. You got me. No idea. Selling four shares. No. <laughs> you want to guess? I don't know. I'd rather just keep it a tie. Oh, I have no idea. Okay. All right. It means selling nine. Palm out means sell. Four fingers at a 90 degree angle indicate nine. Four upright would indicate four. That is not intuitive so at all. No, <laughs> probably should have picked an easier one for the tie break. <laughs> All right. So, so if I want to buy 360 shares, <laughs> I have to rotate my hand. That's what I was trying to figure out. I wonder if they meant lots, like four lots. Oh yeah. Yeah. That probably makes a lot more sense. Cause I, I, from what I understand, if you're on the exchange, you're probably not buying and selling shares under hundred. I can't imagine you're buying four <laughs> shares. No. <laughs> Take four, four shares of AMC, please. <laughs> Oh, can you imagine that? That'd be freaking hilarious. <laughs> Take all day to get anything done. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's so crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for being a guest here, David. It has just been so great. Absolutely. And uh, again, everybody, please feel free to visit my YouTube channel and check it out. You might learn a thing or two. I think they will. I have. Yeah, I've already loaded it up and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to check out some some great videos because learning is the best way to get better at things i've heard it's it's yep, not it losing is. money <laughs> like that's how i've been learning if, if, right <laughs> we're, we're experts in that oh yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thank you gentlemen i really appreciate it today oh we did too all right folks that's gonna bring us to an end to this exciting interview with david modell go check out his uh, youtube videos he's got a wealth of knowledge clearly as you've heard today uh, we want to thank you all so, so much for joining us and being here in the shop. We know, you know, we love you so much. And uh, stay tuned. We've got another exciting episode coming up and many more interviews. So until then, happy trades. Bye, folks.
Evils in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.